Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning, 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific, and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. A truly wonderful film we're going to be talking about. It's uh, called Buster's Mall Heart, and uh, the director, uh, Sarah Adina Smith, and the producer, John Cobb, uh, Donnelly, is, uh, are joining us today to talk about this wonderful new film. Buster's uh, Mall Heart is a bold thriller peppered with dark humor and interlocking mystery and eccentric about an eccentric mountain man on the run from the authorities surviving the winter by breaking into empty vacation homes in a remote community, regularly calling into radio stations. That You know, actually, as I'm describing, this is only the barest surface of this film. There's so much more going on, and I'm going to rely on the expertise of our guest here to describe it in better ways than I just did. Welcome, uh, Sarah Adina Smith and Jonico Donnelly to Film School. Hey, hi. How are you? Happy to be here. Yeah, I I, again, I was going to read a much longer introduction into the film, but you know what? I'd love for to hear you describe it because it's not an easy film to describe, but a wonderful experience to enjoy. Tell me a little bit about. uh, I'll start with you, uh, Sarah. Why don't you tell me your Uh your description of uh, Buster's Mall Heart? Um, it's about a man split in two, um, okay. which is, is really sort of no surprise of the movie. Um, uh, but it's, a, yeah, I mean, I started with this um, premise of wanting to explore the extremes of one man's soul mm-hmm. um, and, and literally take, like, um, I had the notion of one man is charging up a mountain, uh, trying to have his reckoning with God or the powers that be and screaming into the void. And meanwhile, um, another incarnation of him is um, being swept out to sea and sort of forced into this conversation with the powers that be that he doesn't want to have. So it's really about um, um, one man's rebellious heart confronting the cosmos um, and um, the two extremes of that possible conversation. I'm I'm curious, uh, John, what what is your experience? Experience, or what would you? How would you describe it? Is that similar? Because <laughs> the reason I'm asking you, because you are obviously a big part of this, is because there are. It's such a multifaceted film, uh, and I, I'm just, yes, <laughs> maybe. Uh-huh. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, definitely. I think it's also uh, like a story about freedom and family, and if those two things are mutually exclusive, and if you can have them both at the same time, and sort of this struggle that a lot of people face of sort of their responsibilities and their love for their family and somewhat feeling tied down to all of that and kind of wanting um, an escape from that sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so sort of that tension as well. Sarah, where did the story come from? Where's the, the, the sort of the gist of the story? Where's that from? So Jonico and I made a previous film together called The Midnight Swim, okay. um, which is very much about women and water and also is, is, is a has um, something I'm very interested in in my work in general, which is it's a story about um, a person who may appear sort of crazy from the outside, um, or you could sort of diagnose them if you're looking at them from the outside. But if you allow yourself to slip inside of their skin, you might find that they're actually getting something right about the nature of reality. Um, And so I wanted to explore that um, same thing, but from the other side of the coin. And so where The Midnight Sun was about women and water, I had a feeling of wanting to make um, a story about a man in a mountain. That was my jumping-off point. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
started looking at different mountain men stories, and um, there were a, a bunch of articles about different hermits and mountain men I, I, um, who would break into empty vacation homes, and I just thought there was something so uniquely modern and charming and absurd about that, about a mountain man who's not very good at being a mountain man, who, like, wants freedom so badly but doesn't really know what to do once he gets it. Um, and kind of comes back into his cage in some ways by, like, coming back into these these houses. Um, and so that was my starting point. And around the same time I was looking at those articles, there was a big international news story about a Mexican fisherman who had been lost at sea for some impossible amount of time. It was like a 1,000 days. And he claimed that the way he survived was that he found God out at sea and God sent him frogs, and he drank the blood of frogs to survive. Um, so I thought that that was also just, that really kind of stuck out to me um, and and thought, like, what if this was the same person? What if, because why does someone seek solitude is, is one of the questions I was asking. And, um, you know, what what about a story where one person is going into the mountains um, um, searching for that solitude and then that conversation with his maker, and the other one isn't is forced out to see and didn't choose that, but is sort of like forced into that conversation and just, uh, yeah, it occurred to me, I guess the starting point was really, what if that was the same person? I will just stay, say to the audience, pay very close attention to the opening scene. <laughs> I mm, now, Looking mm-hmm. back on the film, there were some, there are some visual cues that you give us along the way. I do want to talk out, talk about your, the style, the sort of the, the, the sure. ambiance of the film. Uh, but I also want to get into uh, the cast. This is a wonderful cast. This is a terrific cast of people. Just to let people know, uh, Rami Malek, uh, Caitlin Scheel, as well as DJ Qualls, and everyone in it is terrific. But those are those are the uh, the main performers, actors in the in the film. But Rami Malek, this mm-hmm. is his, this is his movie, and is he is just fantastic in this role. And I know he's kind of a hot property right now. I'm just kind of curious how you came to to get him into the film. Um, he was um, someone who was at the top of our list. Um, uh, truth be told, we were really focused on trying to cast a Latino actor in the role first. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bilingual part, and the, the um, character is fluent in Spanish. And so um, we had been trying to cast a Latino actor, but because there's this um, very real diversity problem in Hollywood, um, the pool of Latino actors that financiers would consider, quote-unquote, bankable is very small, and we were having a hard time just getting those actors to even read our scripts because there's so few of them that so many, they, they get hounded with hundreds and hundreds of scripts. We decided that if we were going to get the movie made, we had to open up our radius a little bit, and it was really important to us to cast a person of color, and Rami was um, at the top of that list. And, of course, the day the offer went out, uh, we started seeing billboards with his face, and he was on the side of buses for Mr. Robot. So we, it was just kind of weird timing where I thought, oh, no, we've completely missed the mark, and now he's going to be so big and famous that he won't, he won't read our script. So um, we were really lucky that he did uh, read it, and I think something must have really resonated with him because he agreed to meet with me when I was in New York, and um, he and I just really, like, locked in to each other right away and, and got deep right away, and I think he's interested in asking these types of um, um, spiritual questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, but um, it was certainly pretty... 
pretty uh, lucky in terms of, you know, getting him to do a very low-budget indie movie with an unknown team. Well, it, it paid off. It truly paid off. And by the way, for people who aren't familiar with Mr. Robot's one, I, I believe either he won or the show won uh, uh, Emmys. Uh, it's, been, it's an award-winning show at this point. I think he won for Best Actor. Yeah, he won an yeah, Emmy. He won. He did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's he's definitely a hot property and, and a terrific performance on his part because uh, there's a full range of, uh, as an actor, a full range of emotions here involved. And yeah, he's... He, I mean, he, R- Rami's biggest task in this movie is he's a man carrying a war in his heart yeah. um, throughout the course of the movie, because as much as it's about this character who's split in two, it's also about we go back and we, we, you know, ask the question, how could it come to be that one person's heart is so strong that it could literally rip the fabric of, fa- of space time? And so we go back to the younger version of him before he's split in two to tell the story of how that came to be. And so Rami had to, like, hold that war within his heart for that for the younger version and then and then play the two extremes of himself in the split version and he really carries every frame of the movie so it was a huge task but Rami's um, a very dedicated craftsperson and is like one of the hardest working actors we've ever had the pleasure of making a movie with so he was definitely the right guy for the uh, job he, he's he's really really good in this film uh, he, he just is I, I also want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Sarah Dina Smith, the director and writer of the film Buster's Mall Heart, as well as pr- one of the producers, uh, Jonica Donnelly. Uh, and you all, oh, by the way, Sarah, I just noticed you also edited the film as well. Yeah. So, uh, what, what, Sarah did everything. <laughs> I, Her well, vision completely. Well, just, oh, gosh. I was even animating, uh, like, it, it, this is a very homegrown, I mean, Jonico too, and, and also yeah. my husband, Shaheen Seth, who's a cinematographer and also composed the original music. I mean, it was really the three of us, um, and also, you know, all the amazing other team members in every yeah, department, but yeah. we, it was a very kind of homegrown, um, family-style project to the point where, like, you know, like, I was even, like, to the very last day, animating the tiny whale in the end credits. <laughs> um, so it was very much sort of an in-house, low-budget style well, production. I, 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 before we get into all the other things I want to talk to you about, I also really, truly want to want to um, celebrate the performance of Kate Linshiel because I, I discovered mm. her. Well, first of all, a lot of people know her from House of Cards. The first season, she mm-hmm. was she was terrific. She's a terrific actress, but Kate plays Christine is amazing performance on her part. And mm-hmm. the funny thing mm-hmm. about that, some of it was performance, and some of it probably wasn't. But we, but here once again, she uh, she embodies so much and isn't on screen a, a whole lot, but is able to really project. A, a She's the. She really adds gravity yes. to the whole movie, and that's why I, I actually wrote the part for her. Um, the thing I love most about Kate Scheel is that she's incapable of lying, and, and she's so she's this like truth rod to have on screen, <laughs> um, which I just I love about her so much. Um, and she, I knew I wanted someone. In some ways, she um, gives the audience um, someone to like. She kind of. Um, is the audience's point of view yeah. of of Rami's character, yeah. um, and so I just wanted um, someone who was really going to ground the movie and and bring the stakes back down to earth. You know, she's she reminds him like when he has all these dreams of 
wanting to be free. Like, we have a two-year-old, and you don't know how to build a house. Like, well, you can't just, like, wander off into the woods. Well, um, yeah. So, well, there's that scene mm-hmm. in the pool when she says something to him. I'm not going to give it away to the audience here, but she mm-hmm. says uh, how they came to become a couple. Mm-hmm. And that, that just that mm-hmm. comment alone. And there's so much. Again, uh, she's not on the screen a whole bunch. But every time she mm-hmm. is, it feels she brings us a, a degree of warmth, and you're right, and centering of the film, and mm-hmm. she is, you know, she embodies all of these things. She also, I think, both, uh, I think John, Jonica and I like to make movies where we we build a really rich tapestry and rich backstory, so it feels like a fully fleshed out world, yeah. and then the movie is just this little window that the audience gets to spy on that world from mm-hmm. so it was really important to me that like kate and i really um flesh out the entirety of this character's story even though you only get to see her a couple times so that it just feels like you're catching a glimpse into someone who is uh, herself a very complex character even though we only you know spend so much screen time with her we wanted to to feel like she has her own past there could be you know a separate movie about her story right there could be a separate movie about her, but also for me, sort of in terms of the the uh, plot points, uh, the 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 progression of the story, she brings uh, this ability to center the film and, and ground the film mm-hmm. in a way, because mm-hmm. without it, his behavior would would be consistently out beyond the realm of maybe even accessibility. I mean, I don't, maybe mm-hmm. just going too far with that, but just... No, it's just, true. It, it would be, so her there, he's centered, he is a family man, he's a father, he loves them, and so therefore everything else that happens, it's easy to relate and understand, and it in some ways makes his behavior even more perplexing. And, and I, I agree, and I think that like their their love for each other is what we can really lock into. I yeah. mean, he is a man who loves his family more than anything, and she loves him too. Um, um, so I think that that's. But it's also like you know you see the cracks in their relationship. Oh, right. As much as she absolutely loves him, she's she's also a mother first and foremost, and is not going to do anything to, um, you know, put put her. Um, child and any peril on a, on a practical way and so he, while he has this dream that so i feel like is a really sort of relevant um thing right now where so many of american jobs have become service jobs um and and so many have become the sort of thankless soulless um day-to-day existence and i think the idea of dreaming for a life that has dignity um and a life that has more meaning i think is something that's really relevant and particularly kind of an American story right now. Um, so as much as she sort of allows him to have that, that dream, she also sees that, like, you know, you can't just, you can't just sort of divorce yourself from the machine of um, the world um, when you have a two-year-old. It doesn't work that way. It's amazing. By the way, uh, for people who are interested, and they should be interested <laughs> at very least, in seeing Buster's Mall Heart, it, it, this film literally runs the bases here in terms. You can see it on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Fandango Now, Vudu, PlayStation, Xbox. There's no excuse to not see this. Uh, available on demand mm-hmm. and with Infinity, AT&T, Spectrum, Time Warner, Vios, DirecTV, Cox, Cablevision, Frontier, Etc. Etc. So it's out there. You can go to BustersMallHeart.com and you can find out all about that. You can rent or you can buy. Please check this out. Um, and 
Well, I want to talk. I want to talk because we, we've been alluding to it quite a bit in our conversation. The spiritual element in the film is quite pervasive. In in and I mm-hmm. just want to talk about sort of where you were coming from. I'll start. Sarah, jump in. Uh, Jonica, mm-hmm. whatever. But just uh, sort of what what are you trying to bring to this story? And in, in terms of that spirituality that you're that is such a big part of the film. Well- Somebody once described the movie as an atheist prayer, which I thought was pretty accurate, actually. Um, I'm someone who was raised believing in God and lost that belief when I was somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15, and I think I always mourned that belief in some way. And I think the reason I make films at all is to have a conversation with the cosmos and, and search for some sort of divinity. So I think that's in some ways, where this movie is coming from. It's also, you know, pretty clearly a retelling of the story, the the biblical story of Jonah and the whale. Mm -hmm. So I think there's certainly an interpretation available there for people who who want to read it that way. Okay, yeah. And again, it's something that is sort of serves as kind of a a bed for the film, sort of the, the, the underpinnings of the film. We come back to it numerous times. And even as Buster's uh, appearance changes, it, be- it becomes more biblical looking in a, mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and then at the end, something else happens. So I don't want to give anything away. But yeah, it, it, I think that's what's fun about this film is that there are all of these layers. And, yeah. you know, we always say that it's a movie that you kind of need to watch more than once because you're not going to get all of the hints the first time you watch it. And so the more you watch it, you sort of see all these little threads and... Um, to figure out how they all kind of connect together. So it's not, you know, it's not necessarily overtly religious necessarily, but, you know, you sort of see the threads of that and kind of weave them together. I, I love film. Yeah, we, oh, we like to make a film with a lot of breadcrumbs where yeah. for, for people who want, people, really it's kind of for seekers and people who like to ask these deep questions and you can kind of go as deep with it as you want. Um, at the same time, it's actually really a funny film. Um, I think it's very absurdist yeah. in a way. Like the the central premise of like a mountain man who's not good at being a mountain man, and it's kind of like set at Y two K, which was this um, you know yeah. frankly sort of absurd time when we so many of us thought the world was going to end, and then absolutely nothing happened. So well, um, I think it, at the same time, it's asking these deep spiritual questions. It also doesn't take itself too seriously. Yeah, and I think that's where the element you introduce with uh, DJ Qualls and his character, the conspiracy-obsessed drifter, uh, who, who it brings some humor, but, in, but also brings with him sort of a there – so, uh, there's almost from the beginning, the first time we meet him, there's an, om, there's an ominous part to his character. There's something – Mm-hmm. There's something slightly thre- not slightly. There's something threatening about his appearance in the film. Um, so, mm. so I think you bring you bring that in as well. And I can't be the first person to have asked you about sort of your film, your cinematic influences in this film, because there have been comparisons made to a number of different filmmakers. Uh, tell me a little bit about sort of your influences as a filmmaker or filmmakers. Sure. My influences are pretty varied, um, not specifically for this this film, but I love movies. Like, some of my favorite movies are Todd Field's Little Children, um, Lynn Ramsey's We Need to Talk About Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge um, Polanski and Kubrick fan. 
Um, I love so much of David Lynch's work. Um, Lars von Trier's work is probably some of my favorite. Um, For this movie, the thing that maybe was the most direct influence for me was Gus Van Sant's Last Days, um, which is this, this very simple character sketch of a man like wandering around in his bathrobe um but i just like i i didn't i don't even know if i liked that movie when i saw it but i've probably rewatched it seven times since and just like really loved being with that movie if that makes sense uh-huh. um and just really had this desire to like want to hang out with a dude in a bathrobe in an empty house um so yeah. i think that's like <laughs> buster was my excuse to get to do that Jonico, are you? Well, how would you describe your your f- film? Yeah, a lot of uh, sort of similar Lynch, uh, Polanski. You know, The Shining, great. Um, so definitely filmmakers that sort of play with genre and tone a little bit. And I think Sarah is really great at sort of balancing different tones. Like tonally, this is funny and also a thriller and a mystery, um, and uh, sort of all of those things kind of working working together in, in harmony and in balance. I also, I do think I'm just remembering now, Jonico, I remember having a conversation with Rami early on and, and mentioning Fargo as a tonal reference mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. of like the, of our love for these characters and like the humor implicit within the characters, but in a sort of dark story. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Th- there, this, this idea of this sort of disconnected, you know, the, the, because he feels disconnected from, from him, from himself, and from, and from I I keep calling him Buster. I, once Jonah, we should mm-hmm. call him by that's his okay. name. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's his nickname. Yeah, his nickname. I yeah. know. but Jonah is his. Well, and uh, also, I mean, there's a, there's another little breadcrumb in there for people, which is that you know when we um, finally meet his his mother character, and also the the housekeeper he spends with, he, he is Honas, which is like, oh, was that his real name? Did he sort of? whitewash himself and change his name to Jonah when he, you know, met his wife and got a job and joined the church. And so there's kind of this question of who is he really um, going on. And, and um, yeah, and I think that, I mean, that was partly why it was really important to us that this be played by um, a bilingual actor and that the character be bilingual. Is, um, you know, when you're fluent in two languages, sometimes people will describe it as almost like being two different people, like mm-hmm. having two different views of the world. Yeah. Um, and so wanting that, and, al- and also just one fun fact that Rami's also an identical twin. So there was this sort of kind of layers of dualism, um, both with him and the character. I, that's why people have to see this a couple of times. <laughs> what you're yeah. describing <laughs> is exactly why we need to watch this. There, there was a film that came out, I think it was last year or the year before, that reminds me a little bit of this, is uh, Kumiko, the treasure hunter. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- yeah. Th- that sense that of be, uh, being out of place and her, her sort of her disconnection mm-hmm. from reality in a lot of ways. So for people who may have seen that film as a reference, that, that would be another one. There's a number well, of Lynch films that I, I just, I'm a big Lynch fan, so it's wonderful to see uh, his, that sensibility in films. I like that sense of being kind of dis, sort of taken out of your, your comfort zone in watching a film. And that's and that's mm. how this feels. I like that. I I really do appreciate a film that takes me somewhere, and I can I can understand sort of the internal logic of that experience, and then go with it, and just feel completely mm. completely um, um, released into that sort of environment. And and this film does that. Your your film does that very well, very effectively. 
Well, thank you. It seems like you are you are the right audience for it. I mean, we do. It's a movie that that asks the audience for trust and patience, and um, like Jonico said, I think is the kind of thing that um, uh, opens itself up and, and gives you more with multiple viewings. So we really hope everyone will get out and see it. Definitely. In one, one way or another. Definitely. Again, the film is available. This is called Buster's Mall Heart. It's available at bustersmallheart.com. You can find out more. And as we described, it's on every, I, It's on a lot of platforms. I think you'd be hard-pressed <laughs> to find one it's not on right now. So uh, I can't imagine you wouldn't be able to find it. And it is uh, just well worth it. The, ter- the reviews have been amazing for this film. I'm sure you're very, very heartened by the response that you've gotten from the critical community. Uh, and I can't imagine the audience responses. You've played at a number of different film festivals. Uh, the audience responses, I'm sure, have been terrific as well for it. Um, anything about this whole, you know, this Buster's Mall Heart, as a filmmaker, sort of what has been your takeaway? Does this reinforce your notion to move forward with more films like this? You feel heartened by it? How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how, how do you feel, Sarah, going forward? Um Jonica and I are just ready to make our next one. Okay. Um, um, and our next film, we can't say too much about it, but it's a, it's a parable about economic injustice, which is something Jonica and I are both really interested in. Um, and um, it also, you know, follows a character on a sort of spiritual trial of mm-hmm. some sort. So I think that we're both very interested in continuing to ask uh, deep questions as earnestly as possible and hopefully do it in a way that invites audiences to have that conversation with us. So, yeah, it's been it's been thrilling to watch Buster get out there in the world and we're just ready to make the next one. Excellent. By the way, this is a bit of a random comment to make, but one of the one of the films that kind of tangentially reminds me of your film was uh, Resurrection, a film that came out in the 80s. It was Ellen Bernstein's, uh, one of her, she was nominated for an Academy Award. And it, it was another. Ooh, I have to look at that one. Oh, check it yeah. out! Check out her performance. Never, never perfor- seen it. Her performance is amazing. I, as far as it, like a performance, a, a, kind of a searching for mm. for a, a truth, a sort of an eternal truth. Uh, it is one of the finest films that I think I've ever seen in that regard. Ellen Bernstein is truly amazing in that film. So, yeah. Sorry, just sorry to throw cool. that in there. No, yeah. we will. We will check, we'll check that out for sure. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here um, on Film School, and I look forward. Please come back again. Daniel Petrie, thank you, was the was the director. Resurrection, Ellen Bernstein, and uh, Sam Shepard as well was in it. Uh, well, oh, so, great. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for the film and for, uh, for finding time to be here on Film School. Sarah. Thanks for having us on. Thanks so much. Thank you, Sarah Dina Smith and Jonica <laughs> Donnelly and Sarah <laughs> Adina Smith. Uh, the the team behind Buster's Mall Heart. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.